Yeah, that didn't sound so great, huh? This was an excerpt of Terrorbane, a game developed by the Italian indie devs of Bit9 Studio. And it's full of errors. Why do we need such a game when there are enough buggy and glitchy games out there? Well, let's check the story behind this. The story writer of the Bit9 team, Andrea Leoni, did not only tell me their intentions, but also if players are actually having fun playing a broken game. Also find out why their studio switched from mobile to other platforms and what the gaming industry is like in Italy. Now on Open Indie. Andrea, how are you doing? Fine, thank you, fine. Your new game, Terrorbane, is like, well, I try to describe it, it's like this crazy JRPG pixel adventure. It's a fourth wall breaking and the uh, full release was on the 1st of April this year, 2022. Uh, the 1st of April, that release date, that was probably intentionally, right? Yeah, it was. It started out as a joke, like we went ahead and, and said, What would happen if we released our game on the 1st of April? And it was a joke at the beginning, but then the publisher, Whisper Games, came to us and said, wait, this is actually a good idea, let's do it. And we went with it. Uh, it was fun. It was fun to play with the with the date. Yeah, but I think it was a pretty cool idea too, but you gave me as a reviewer a hard, a hard time. I had to tell all these uh, editorial offices I work for that the release date was no April Fool's joke. <laughs> This is really the release date. Yeah, even some players were kind of taken aback by it. But, you know, you will learn soon that we at Bit9 Studio just love making jokes, even if they work against us. And it was stronger than us. So we went with it, just free of consequences, I guess. Very cool idea. Yeah, already when I uh, played the demo of Terrorbane, like um, I think about a year ago, I had to laugh so hard and I really enjoyed playing it. Um, although your game is full of bugs and glitches, but it's intentionally. So um, you're supposed to think you're playing a normal JRPG in the style of the old Final Fantasy games. Um, I really love that, by the way. But every time I thought I had to play the game like traditional Final Fantasy, it always went the other direction. So nothing goes as planned. Gameplay mechanics suddenly change. At one time, I wanted to open a door and suddenly I could pick it up and put it in my inventory. Aren't there enough games with bugs on the market? Well, uh, yes, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like I made this glitchy game because I want to say that games are glitchy or I want to, you know, I want to point the blame on someone in the industry. Rather, I'd like, I, I wanted to make this game because I simply enjoyed the idea of something breaking while you were playing it. I felt like uh, bugs had this inherent uh, comedic value to them. And the idea was to try and harness it to make a game that would make people laugh. And yes, the industry is full of their uh, inevitable glitches and some of them less inevitable than others. Uh, but, you know, we most of these things get to be get to become beloved by the community in some way or other. Think about Skyrim, think about the 
the disastrous launch of Assassin's Creed. Um, was it Unity, the one in France? Um, and uh, you know, it be, it kind of became a meme to be to be enjoyed by everyone. And uh, I thought I could, I wanted to harness this power, this meme power. How difficult was it to develop a game with intentional bugs? Way more than we anticipated. Uh, we started out with the simple idea of, oh, let's make a game about bugs. Let's make a game where nothing works. But, you know, the core tenet of game design is to teach your player how to play a game and while they play it. Hopefully without a tutorial, hopefully by showing them how to do it. And so we set out to do just that and we figured out that it wasn't easy because our intention from the start was to break the gameplay, not to have it work as intended. So we couldn't base our design on what you already knew. Well, we, sh we could, but only on reflex, only on, on, on it being mirrored into something twisted. So it was difficult to find ways to not only entertain the player at every turn, but also teach them how to use the systems that were broken on purpose. Uh, it was a, a challenge that pushed our development time a bit away from what we expected it would take us to, to complete the game. Yeah, I can imagine. That's also what I wanted to ask, like um, how difficult it is to teach the player uh, gameplay mechanics which change all the time and aren't the usual. Yeah, it's a challenge. Uh, what we what we devised was a kind of a reinventing the wheel solution each time we changed the rules. Uh, we went about changing the gameplay, changing the setting, and each time we had to explain new stuff, and each time we did it differently. Basically, uh, there was there is a, a set a place where you change setting and you change the entire combat system. So we we kind of created a, a tutorial section where you go through uh, these mini games that will become your way to to fight in the future. And you are forced through three that we thought three mini games that we thought were the easier ones, but we combined them to make them more difficult. And we force you through the, to go through this funny section. And that was one solution for that problem. In other times, we simply leave you to your mistakes to teach you uh, the correct way of proceeding. For example, the starting scrolls, which usually players are more familiar with because they are the start of the game. Uh, the only way to progress is to experiment and fail well, fail. There's no real way to fail, but the only way is to skip that scroll to learn what how the game will work. And uh, it was quite challenging. It took a lot of uh, repetition, reiteration, and a lot of feedback from the players. In the beginning of the game, there's this long story intro with a really long text scroll, scrolling down and down, and uh, seems like it never ends. And, well, gamers aren't as patient always, so as you might know. It's fine. They shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to say this because it seems like uh, I want to make a point with the scrolls. But I'll let you go on. I'll let you go on. Then I... Uh... Okay. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, so after a few seconds, there's like this pop-up uh, telling the player which button to uh, push um, to skip this scene. And in my first playthrough, 
I didn't push it. I was tempted, but I didn't because uh, I wanted to see what happens wow. if I let it. Yeah, it's, it was amazing, um, but it was hard. <laughs> so the scroll ended at some point and I moved on, moved on to the next part of the game. But I immediately went back and started a new save game and this time skipped the intro. And yeah, suddenly a bug appeared and forced me into a, a mini game to get everything working again. So something totally different happened and I wasn't expecting this. So this was really a cool feature. The scrolls teach you the very basic mechanic of Terrabane that your choices just bring you to very different paths that take you through story beats that you might never see if you don't make that choice. And so, what I wanted, I'll complete that thought that I left at, at, in, kind of uh, in the middle. I, it sounds like I want to make a point with this, uh, with these, with these scrolls. Like I want to say gamers are impatient, or I want to say developers are impatient. No, that's not my objective here. I, the objective of Midnight Studio is having you pass through the craziest and funniest stuff we could think about. And so the joke is the king here, not really the message or the point. I see. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, but also, how much uh, story and game variations are there in Tarobane? You know, this is something I want to make clear, because um, I think we kind of hidden the, the way the game is structured a bit too much. So I, I want to I wanna say it clearly here. There are 12 le playable levels in Terrabane, each around the same length. And as you pass through the game, you make choices that make you um, pass through four of these. So the entire gameplay of one run is just a third of, of the game, basically. Um, so I want to encourage players to not stop there at the what we call the fake ending which is the ending you get after two hours of playtime two or three hours of playtime it's it's basically thought up as fake as unsatisfying because the developer clearly tells you this is not the end the game is much thicker than it is long and you know the one thing I forgot to mention, the inspiration for this game, much more than a Final Fantasy, much more than any JRPG out there, which is just a pretext, um, is Stanley Parable. So this the structure of the game reflects that replayability without uh, seeing the same things uh, twice. And so, yeah, that, that is the true structure of the game. Was that a challenge for you guys? I hope it is. Uh, no, I, sorry, I hope it is for who is listening to us. But uh, yeah, it was a challenge for us in designing it. Um, we kind of went with what we felt was the normal structure of a Stanley Parable-like game. But now I kind, of, I kind of think back and maybe our game would have been better paced and better to, and easier to understand for players if we had put it on a straight line. And I am thinking about something that is that many players uh, associate with Terrabane, uh, another game that many players associate with us, uh, which is um, There Is No Game, Wrong Dimension. And I think the comparison is pretty strong, although I didn't 
play um, Wrong Dimension, not even, well, I didn't play uh, the original um, There Is No Game, the mobile one. Um, even back then, when I was thinking this game, I was only thinking of uh, the Stanley Parable. But there are a few, a few interesting comparisons. I think uh, it, it's normal to associate the, uh, these two titles. Um, but I feel like I should have probably put the, the, the structure a bit more uh, in a line, like, like uh, the developer for, from There Is No Game did. Why did you get that feeling that you needed to put it in a straight line? Did you get some player feedback, like some players got confused? Yeah, uh, players are confused by the structure, at least for now. You know, um, I am, we're, we're planning to support the game. We're planning to uh, see what the feedback is and, and work on it. But yeah, some players just end the game after uh, the first run. And this is not intended. This is not the way I, I was envisioning the game's loop. Um, Because I, I purposely made the normal fake ending unsatisfying. And so if people end up there, run there, there is no growth in the story. There is no satisfying end. And so I wasn't anticipating this. But I think, but I think uh, players should play however they like. And so I will, we will adapt to them, I guess. It's our job to do so. Um, there is one thing I, I want to mention. I said that the jokes are king, but, um, and it, they truly are. That's our main goal. But there is a story to Terrabane. It's just a very meta story um, that you cannot see by playing the game once. I also had the feeling that if I go back and yeah, play again and choose maybe something different story-wise, then I could uh, just complete the game 100% like because of collectibles and stuff like that. So I didn't think that there really is then that the story continues kind of. So that's uh, really interesting. Yeah, we, we, with Terrabane, we tried to come up with something that was completely new. Our intention was to build something that was not seen before. So we went with this strange setup for the, for the story. The story is about a player playing the Terrabane. And so the, the game is built around the loop of you playing Terrabane. It's kind of a Schrodinger's box. That, and you are in, trapped inside this game, um, well, enjoying yourself, hopefully, But and you only and, and, and the ending of the game Terrabane without the error part highlighted um, to those who are listening to us. Uh, our title T Error Bane is the title of the game, but the developer inside it calls his game Terrabane without the error highlighted. So there is a game within a game that you are playing, and so the game Terrabane without the error highlighted ends and it's not the point of the game t error bane so the ending is unsatisfying because the game t the, the game terror bane is unsatisfying but the game t error bane that you are playing is you against the developer playing this game finding the faults in his creation and so yeah 
I encourage everyone who has played the game only once to just go back and choose differently because you'll find that the story will not play out the same uh, and you'll see different characters. You will find different quests. You will, you will not change just a few dialogues or a few bugs to complete your bug list. You'll find new story and uh, just like Stanley Parable. Terrorbane, it breaks the fourth wall. Like uh, in regular intervals, uh, there's a pop-up text field and a picture of a developer who is directly addressing the player when whenever a bug occurs. And uh, he then tries to fix it. He's screaming around, pounding on the keyboard. That developer is you, right? Oh, all right. Another disclaimer. This call is starting to become full of disclaimers. Uh, the developer is voiced by me and written by me. But please, do not associate me with him. <laughs> He's a very irritating character. I wrote him like that on purpose. He is supposed to be your nemesis. He's supposed to be your companion for all of this journey. He is very integral to the story behind Terrabane. And But he's, he's your nemesis. He's supposed to be grating on the nerves uh, and funny. So, yeah, he doesn't speak for Bit9 Studio. He is a character that we wrote. Uh, and once again, there is no point about developers, about players, except at the ending of the game. In one of our earlier interviews uh, with you, you um, also told me that the, the body of the developer, that's your brother or your cousin? My brother, yes. It's kind of composite, yes. The, the body of the developer is my brother's, the voice is me, and the personality is a combination of all of our experiences with developers or ourselves. We tried to, to picture the developer as a sort of super developer containing all possible flaws, all possible, you know, all possible great things about a developer. You already told us a little bit about the, the story in Terrorbane. What exactly inspired you to write that kind of story? My experiences as a player. Um, in this, I, I, I sh well, I talked as the voice of Bit9 Studio for now, but in this question, I talk as a voice of myself because I am the writer of the game and the story was my department, kind of. And the guys at Bit9 left me complete freedom to explore something that I wanted to say. Um, we started out with this, with this idea that the story would be completely optional. Uh, but I also think it's what makes uh, Terrabane slightly more profound that you, than you first anticipate. When you when you get in contact with the with the game for the first time, and so I encourage everyone to find it. Um, um, the story of Terrabane was inspired by my experiences as a player. I've been an avid player. Avid doesn't describe it. I literally have a, a wall of DVD covers in front of my screen right now. It represents my entire life. And I love this media to a fault, uh, to the point that when Elden Ring came out and my game was just about to release, I played it every day uh, in my spare time at night, sacrificing my, my sleep time because I couldn't let up. Yeah, I, I can relate. <laughs> I, 
So, yes, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Um, what I wanted to stress, what I wanted to stress was that I've developed this kind of encyclopedic knowledge of all AAA and, and AA titles over the history of video games. And I kind of developed my own, my own idea of what makes a game special. And through Terror Bane, I wanted to, to tell the story of what I think makes games in particular, not movies, not books, not mm, pictures special. Uh, and, and I hope I was able to convey it through the true ending of, of, of the game. And uh, many, for instance, ask me, why did I put this grading crazy character that is the developer inside the game? And the only answer is, it's part of a message. It's part of a reflection on what the gaming media is. And hopefully, hopefully you, when you finish the game, uh, you will enjoy it too. Well, I'm really, really excited about the true ending of the game now. So. You don't need to complete the game 100% to find it. It's just a percent. Okay, okay. I'm excited to see that. So I have to put Elden Ring aside. <laughs> no, no, don't. It's a great game. It's a wonderful game. Like Terror Bane, I have to say. It's really something special. We don't deserve that much praise. We try, we try. Also, I think you said earlier, um, before, um, like in an earlier interview we did, uh, that it took you six years uh, to finish Terror Bane. Um, why did it take that long? As I said, part of the problem was reinventing the wheel each time we changed the gameplay. And we changed gameplay a lot of times. It was also because we didn't want to create a short game. And, and I'm kind of sad to see that many people just leave the game after the first run and tell us that it's short, even if we took all that long years to make it you know, long. Uh, well, long for indie titles. The entire playtime of the players that have completed the game to the true ending, so not 100%, but the true ending is usually more than 12 or 15 hours long. Uh, so I, I'd like to say that there is that much content in the game and we put that much content in the game because we wanted it to be an experience. Um, in the end, we probably should have, I don't know, it, it, Terrapin was really the result of doing the game we wanted to make, uh, not really thinking about what market it would hit, what kind of, of audience it would resonate with. We just wanted to make a game that worked, that was well made, and that was ours. Uh, and, and that is crazy. And that is not the usual way how you make games. But we did it all the, all the same. I've heard that there's also some kind of hidden level or secret ending to the game. Or is it that final ending you, uh, you talked about? The true ending. That's a true ending. Okay. Basically, it works like this. You play the game replay the game, and you could start to complete a map of how the game is made. When you've visited every level and found a percentage of the bugs um, corresponding to an objective you have for each area, then you unlock an, an ending that is a level onto itself. So it is another full level that you get to play. And, uh, and 
you it's placed outside of the cycle, outside of the game. And I think that's what makes it interesting. Um, yeah, and that is the true ending of the game. At the end, you make a choice and your choice is final. And uh, and that is the ending of Jeremy. Okay, okay. Are actually all the uh, bugs in the game bugs you guys encountered in other games? Ah, uh, no. Some of them are. Some of them are famous bugs. For instance, I, I remember putting uh, in, in the scrolls, in the scrolls, the third scroll, if you skip it two times, uh, you get a minigame and you play a kind of dance dance revolution kind of rhythm game to unwind it. And uh, if you press, um, the, the developer asks you to press up to unwind the scroll at the beginning. And if you press another button, like for, for instance, left, you go into another scroll. And this scroll is full of English uh, mistakes um, from famous games uh, from the 80s, like um, the famous Bimmy in, uh, in what was it? It was uh, famous mis misspellings of names and famous misspellings uh, like congratulations from old Japanese games. <laughs> and uh, I, we, I compiled a giant list of the most interesting and most famous, and I tried to create a text that used them. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we, we enjoyed we enjoyed making this game so much. Um, so yeah, some of them are famous. Some of them are just things that happened to us during development. Um, And most of them are invented. Most of them are, are designed. It's strange. It's a strange experience to design something to be broken. Uh, and to think that you need to make it work because it must not break further. So, <laughs> uh, it, it's strange, but it was also kind of intoxicating. As a designer, it was very much uh, stimulating. Is that uh, the bug uh, in the scroll? Is that also your favorite bug in the game? My favorite bug, I think, is one of the most hidden or, or a bug that I would describe as diabolical uh, because it is a, a well, you, there is a fight. There's a fight, a classic JRPG fight. It doesn't work. But you have your commands like fight, uh, items, run. And it's a fight where you use limit breaks. In, in true Final Fantasy fashion, there's a limit break. So you, you need to use these limit breaks to hit the boss and, and proceed. All of these limit breaks break in some way. So you need to fix them, but that's besides the point. If you uh, charge up your meter uh, and finally get to, um, to the limit break on your main character, so Terrorbane, your fight command becomes limit break, but your run command also becomes a limit break. And if you select run X, run limit break, your fight uh, is interrupted, the game is uh, shut down, the computer is shut down, and it leaves you with the, with the orange writing on the, on, the, on the screen like old 95, 98 versions of Windows, you can now 
shut down your system. Oh, that's crazy. So literally my actual computer shuts down? <laughs> no, it's just, uh, it's just visually uh, represented. We didn't want to shut your entire computer down. I, I kind of proposed that, but I was blocked by my teammates. Um, but I, yeah, I just love the absurdity of, the, of it all. And I hope players enjoy it too. I didn't get that one, so uh, I gotta look out for that. Okay, it forces you to to go from the beginning of the fight. So only only do it if you want to see the scene. Okay, <laughs> I'll do that. I think I know what fight you mean. I go back there. <laughs> I'm asking this because many indies choose early access for their games, uh, but Terrabane did get a full release right away, right? With the danger of. Uh, Um, well, overstay, overstepping my bounds. I'd like to say that Terrabane's release was incredibly bugless. Um, the team at Whisper Games did a very good job and we ourselves did a very good job at testing the game. And the only uh, bugs that we encountered at release were resolved in a manner of a couple of days. Um, so I think this kind of game was right as a premium release um, rather than, a, than an early access because it's kind of a, well, it is a finished game. It's not a game you can play ad infinitum. And so I, we thought that releasing was the, the way to go. Um, creating the biggest blast we could. Uh, Early, we have nothing against early access, to be honest. I think it is a good way to uh, create and market those kind of games that can be expanded upon, that are un un unfinishable. And, and so, yes, maybe one day I'd like to, to create a, an early access title and just develop it from there. But Terrabing had to tell a story. It probably really doesn't make sense if you have a story-related game um, to put that in early access, right? Because it's, well, it's finished. It makes sense if you fear to have a lot of bugs <laughs> as a testing ground. We were, we were very thorough. I think we delivered a very stable game. I hope tomorrow doesn't come <laughs> and, and they find there's... 10 bugs we did, we overlooked for a month or so. But no, I, at this point, I feel pretty confident that the game works and was right for a premium release. So uh, talking about uh, your studio, uh, you founded Bit9 Studio with your brother and cousin, right? Yep, it's a family business. How did you come up with the idea to found a, a game studio? As I've said, I was always uh, a very avid player. And so video games were a part of my dreams growing up. I think I always envisioned myself doing something related to video games in some way. But I actually wasn't uh, in the original formation for the informal team that was named bit Studio and then later became the company uh, because it, Actually, my brother and my cousin started out, uh, and I wasn't part of the team. Uh, they came together because my cousin is uh, was uh, at university, was studying to get his degree, and he wanted to make to create little games for mobile uh, platforms. And he called on to my brother, who has always been um, an illustrator and um, and. Um, 
how to say this in English. He's a marketing expert. Uh, he works as a, a graphic designer for, mar for um, firms. And he makes, uh, he was very good at creating flashy UI and, uh, and flashy characters because he's also uh, an illustrator. And so the two programmer and graphic designer were able to create small games without story or text. Um, and so they created their first kind of programs. Uh, they were games, but they were free, so no commercial products were released at that time. And so no publishers were involved, no marketing plans, no all of the things that go around the tr a true game project weren't there. They just made games and put them on the store for free. And uh, and the first uh, the first one they made is Landed. It's it's still there. Um, looking at it now, it contains glaring mistakes. Uh, but it's always like that. Looking back to your first projects is always uh, difficult, you know. And uh, but. It was a free game. It was a challenging kind of, well, cartoonish, funny game. It contained, uh, it, well, you had to land a space lander kind of spaceship on certain platforms. And the levels were designed to be difficult with environmental uh, challenges. For example, strong winds or meteorites and things like that. It was colorful, contained much of the DNA of the graphic and kind of also the the funny uh, stuff. When you died, there was always a funny message that would appear randomly and that made fun of you. So it, it contained much of the DNA of what Terrabane would become, uh, but it was, it was just a trial. Um, then Luca, our, our um, programmer and uh, my cousin came up with the idea of something a bit more structured, a bit more serious. They wanted to make a game for uh, PC and uh, console platforms. And they came up with the idea of basing it on bugs and glitches. And, uh, so, and it wasn't called Terrabane at the time, it was just the bug game. And uh, they called on me, onto me because I, I, I've always been a, a writer. I was at university at the time. Uh, my university was actually completely different. I worked uh, um, as a translator and interpreter. Uh, that is why my English is uh, is at this level. And um, and so they called on to me because I was a writer, fledgling, and in many ways I still am. Uh, and they called the, called me in to create a story, a setting, characters for this thing because it was going to be text-based and um, we needed dialogues and that's where i came up with the with the whole idea behind terrabane and oh the name the name was mateo's uh, thought process so I, I just want to give credit where it's due terrabane are you guys then um, thinking about uh, releasing terrabane maybe sometime for mobile uh, platforms of course you did mobile before we entertain the idea. Uh, I think we would like to do it, but if it makes sense, that is another that is another very important question. Uh, I think Whisper Games also would like to do it, but at the moment there are no plans to port it. 
So we'll see in the future. We're certainly open to it. Um, and we think it could work, but there are a lot of things we need to think about because it couldn't work with the current structure of the game. I know 8-bit, I know 16-bit, but your name is Bit9 Studio. Uh, why? The name actually has a, a meaning to us. Uh, we chose this name, as we do, by thinking up uh, what was the meaning behind it. Uh, to us, our team is looking to bring something new, something undiscovered in the gaming media, if possible, if we are able. And uh, to remind ourselves of this purpose that enabled us to start doing this job, uh, we chose this name, you know, the ninth bit, the one that comes after the eighth. Uh, so we wanted to add a little bit something to the market, if we can. Indie studios, they're always looking for uh, support, of course. Uh, some really need that. Uh, who's all backing you at the moment? We need to give a huge praise to our friends at Whisper Games. They, well, most of the development of Terrabane was done completely free. I, I'm, I'm saying like five years of that six-year development was done completely on our expenses, without funding, without backing, only on the exorbitant amount of praise we received for, for the demo. Uh, you know, we were we were uh, overjoyed by the reaction we had here in Italy, especially uh, people that would enjoy the game at conventions. And so we put our utmost, uh, our free time, our our nights, our Saturdays, our Sundays into completing this game. And at, in the end. We All of this time, we were searching for a partner that would fund us, that would help us deliver the game. And we had no luck. We tried so many uh, companies. Um, but Terrabane was and is kind of a unique thing. And, um, and it took a special kind of, of publisher to notice its worth. And so we met the guys at Whisper Games. I have only praise to say about them. Uh, they're from China, but they are very much, very knowledgeable on the market, uh, on, on the Steam market, on, on Western games. And so they, they loved the game. They approached us themselves because we did not approach them first. And uh, it, it has been a happy uh, relationship ever since, uh, I'd like to say. How's the situation uh, generally in Italy for Indies? Hmm. I'd like to say that it's wonderful if we're talking about the community, okay. because it, the Italian developers know how to make uh, a cohesive front. Uh, I think the, the most beautiful part of developing in Italy is that people are open, are friendly, and they never underm undermine each other. They always help each other. We've had tremendous help from other developer teams who uh, welcomed us. We were just noobs. We were just coming from nowhere. They welcomed us, helped uh, with uh, gaining knowledge about Steam, about the platforms, about how to sell a game, how to present a game, how to pitch a game. All of this we asked to our seniors and they provided. 
which is not that common, I, I think, in other markets. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't live outside of Italy, of course. I think the only thing that's missing from Italy, which is still a hotpot for new games, new development uh, teams and new ideas, is of structure, is a, an infrastructure of investment and of know-how. Um, unfortunately, Italy's first uh, concern is tourism and uh, fashion and many of the things that make us Italy. But there's not much knowledge about video games and how, about the market and about how to invest in, in this market. And so there is no support. There is no, well, no. I don't want to sound absolute. Of course, there is support, but it's smaller compared to the larger Europe. Um, and it's fairly less organized and fairly less directed. Um, great strides have been taken and in, in recent years, and we hope to change the situation shortly. And, but uh, as of now, it's, it's still a struggle um, to emerge and to have the the instruments that in other countries are given as a, as a uh, well are a given um, <laughs> I'd say um, one glaring problem is that creating a company in our in our country is very tax heavy. Well, for example, in in Great Britain, opening uh, a new company costs you nothing absolutely nothing unless you you have some form of uh, of mm, well you you get some money from your games um in italy you start paying from day one and it's you start paying heavily for it you definitely need money before starting a gaming company <laughs> yeah you you definitely need money and you definitely need funding and it's not that easy so you can't just create a game a small game and put it out there because it's illegal. <laughs> you need to start a company. You need to start uh, even an, in, an individual company, but it, even that is costly. And so, yeah, we, we're lacking infrastructure yet. Is there at least some funding programs, uh, also maybe especially for indies? During COVID, the COVID pandemic, uh, the government took notice of the great uh, volume uh, that the gaming media has managed to accrue during the pandemic. And so they begrudgingly gave us a, a, a bit of, of funding, mm, but it's still very little, um, especially, especially compared to what they give to other arts. Um, this is mainly due to the fact that the gaming media has not produced yet a big, uh, a big hit in Italy. And uh, oh, hopefully we can overcome this step. We can overcome this, um, this situation and show that Italian devs know what they're doing. Just a, just a few questions about you. Um, since when are you actually a story writer? Since I think my, uh, well, as soon as I got out of school, I started writing pro projects. I started up by making um, a comic uh, with my brother as an illustrator. And uh, it went fairly well as locally, of course. 
I, I try to, you know, find the media that would, that would uh, welcome my storytelling. And I felt uncomfortable both with, with comic books and with uh, books in general because I, ha I didn't have the experience I have in the gaming world. And probably the things I wanted to say um, were not as interesting as the things I have to say about the gaming media, maybe. Uh, this is my current thought. It might change. Um, so yes, I started right uh, outside the gates of school and, um, and I continued until here by doing whatever I thought could work. Uh, Terrabane is the first thing that actually is, I consider a complete project. I also try to take that book and make it into a podcast. Uh, <laughs> so I kept on trying to experiment on stuff and, and try to find my way. Just a quick question. What was the book about? The book was actually inspired by my crippling anime addiction. No. Um, okay. <laughs> I, it was another reflection on on tropes in uh, in anime. I created a book. It was a fantasy book, and the story, the premise of the story was there was this guy who would uh, who would tell uh, fantastical stories of heroes and legends and dragons, and then he grew up and he and he became a normal guy, a normal man working in a tavern. And basically all of the, there are a lot of people that he met during his life. He, he told them about uh, all of these legends and they followed these legends and they became legends like uh, an epic knight, an epic wizard. And they all come back to him and, and expect him to be this special kind of guy that has become even better than they are. And he's just a tavern guy. <laughs> And it's a comedic kind of story, and it's a reflection on what it means to have friends and to have a family. And it, it uses the pretext of, of high fantasy and uh, crazy action, but in the end, it comes back to a, to a message about uh, relationships. Mm -hmm. Can you still read it somewhere online? Yeah, you can. Okay, sure. If it's arrived with you, then we might post a link for people uh, to look at it and read it. <laughs> it's there for people to read. You were probably a gamer back then. <laughs> oh, yes. I've always been. <laughs> so then moving on into the gaming industry was the logical step for you to take. I wrote the book and the comic book while I was working on Terramine because it took that long. And all the while I was trying to find ways to, to make my, my writing work, even outside of, of video games. But I, I think Terrabane has always been my main project because I also think that it's the most complete, the most, uh, the, the best one I wrote. Uh, the developer character grew from just an, an embryo into this whole thing. For instance, the, the developer was mute. He didn't speak in, and he wasn't supposed to speak or have a voiceover in the finished product. I remember that in, in the demo, it was without the voiceover, right? Yeah. For, for five years of development, the game was with a, a mute developer. Then Whisper Games came along and said, wait, we need to have at least some voiceover. The developer should have a voice. And I said, yeah, but who? And they said, oh, we can provide you a studio. We can find you an actor. And, I, and we said, 
listen, we have like a year of work ahead of us, full to the brim. We are not going to be able to also be, mm, converse with some outsiders and and think about how to put this in the game. It's going to be too difficult. Okay. And why don't you do it? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> and, uh, and I did. Uh, it wasn't my suggestion. It was Whisper Games' suggestion. Um, but I create a proof of concept. Everybody listened to it and they said, yeah, it works. Let's do it. What would you say worked uh, so far pretty good in, in your life as a story writer or in the gaming industry and what didn't? This is a tough question. I think my, I think I can, and I, as a writer, I think I have something to say. This works. Uh, everybody who has finished Terrabane and gone to the true ending said they were touched by it. Uh, I think this is the, what I can do best. Uh, create a story that gives you uh, the meaning behind the ending. Create a, a game that uses the meaning of the game and makes it trickle into its gameplay. I think that I, I can do. What I cannot do, what I always uh, struggle with is the structure, is the pacing. Um, I always create stories that pay off at the end. And so sometimes I think I, I infuse my projects with too much difficulty, with too much uh, uh, player work <laughs> or reader work to get to the good part. Um, I tried my best to make the, the beginning of, the, of everything I write explosive and interesting. Mm, but maybe I struggle at the, at the middle. What moment in your life in the game in games industry or as a story writer will you always remember? I guess I can, I can only speak about my personal experiences. I've always been a nerd. I've always been very attached to video games. I think the, the most incredible moments in vi for video games in my life are things like staying awake at 4 or 5 a.m. at night to watch uh, E3 uh, on, on summer nights. Uh, it is going to a convention for the first time and uh, having all those people meme about my game. You know, there are, they are very personal moments, but they are what propels me to seek a way to make my, my career work in gaming because they are profound moments for me. They are things that give my life a bit more meaning. And uh, yeah, I, I think I want to pursue this. From your experience so far, do you have any advice for other indie devs or story writers, uh, maybe people who want to just start um, in the industry and um, starting a new job in that direction? Hmm. I, you know, I don't want to sound pretentious <laughs> when I answer this kind of question. I, I still am in many ways a fledgling developer, uh, but I made a game, I published a game, I sold a game. So to those who are not yet at my step, Uh, I can only say it's going to be exactly as you envision it. So exactly as fun as you think it is, as great as you think it is, but it's also going to be incredibly difficult. You're going to have to grit your teeth 
through so many stupid, humiliating or angering stuff. And it's all part of becoming not only a better developer, but a better person in, in full. Uh, you know, things never work perfectly. So this, nothing like making a game, like making any piece of art, tells you exactly what it feels for things not to be as perfect as you envisioned. Uh, but that does not mean that it doesn't work. That does not mean that you cannot make it a success or something that you can improve or that you can work upon. Yeah, brains for impact. <laughs> to sum up, Terrabane, your crazy JRPG pixel adventure uh, and fourth wall breaking um, had a release on the 1st of April this year, 2022. Um, in general, would you say you're happy how it turned out? To be honest, yes. One thing I did not mention in this call was, you know, the reviews for the game are, are pretty good. We got a, a, an incredible Metacritic score for our first game ever released. And, uh, and I'm very happy. Players are still a bit confused about the game. They don't know what to make of it, but we aim to change that uh, and to show them that, you know, there's content here. What will the next project be like? Mm. Oh, we're working on some prototypes, but it's still very early to, to discuss this. But there will be a next project, of course, uh, and we're already working on it. Okay, but you can't uh, tell us uh, in what direction it will go. Yeah, like five ideas and we need to, to, to find the one that's right for us. Okay, okay. Well, then keep us updated. <laughs> Andrea, thanks so much uh, for taking the time for this interview and it was so nice talking to you. Thank you very much. It's, uh, thank you for the time. And yeah, it was also nice to discuss this with you.